welcome to the first episode of Rise to Liberty podcast. Thank you so much for joining. My name is Jacob. If you could take just a quick second, follow, subscribe, share, leave a review. That would do absolute wonders for this show. Helps out more than you would think. All right. I've been struggling with exactly how to start this whole thing off. Kind of diving in with both feet, but I think I got it figured out. I'm going to start off with a quote. A quote that kind of describes exactly my intention And really where I want to go with this. Expose every belief to the light of reason. Discourse, facts, scientific observations. Question everything. Be skeptical because this is the only chance at life you will ever get. James Randi. So next I would like to ask, when was the last time that any one of you have watched a magic show Seen one in person, watched it on TV. David Blaine. Uh, I'm not counting that hack. Chris Angel, he's a joke. I'm actually talking any magician, amateur, or professional. You knew that you were being tricked. You were being manipulated. Your senses were being manipulated. And yet, it was still a great time. Magicians are the most honest people on this planet. They tell you that they're going to manipulate you. And then they do. The reason I'm bringing this up is to make a point that no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how observant you are, somebody with the skills, the talent, the intention to manipulate and control what you see, what you hear, will be able to manipulate you. You need to be on constant guard to be able to discern And referencing the opening quote, you need to question everything. Even things that you are 100% sure of, you need to turn around and question. Always be skeptical. Always be testing your beliefs, the logical conclusion to your beliefs. Always be questioning. You need to always constantly be improving. I will have to make the claim that objective truth exists. There is absolutely no arguing that with me. I understand some people don't agree with that. That's fine. And I'm sorry to tell you, but you're wrong. There is such thing as right and wrong. It is universal. Just because you don't understand it, just because you weren't raised that way, just because you have some sort of an issue to where you reject it, whatever it may be, just because that is, quote unquote, your truth, doesn't mean that that is the truth. Your perception does not dictate reality. That leads me to my next point. It's another quote. Wide acceptance of an idea is not proof of its validity. Dan Brown. This all means that you should be constantly aware, constantly improving, constantly searching for the truth. It's okay to think a certain way, to have a certain opinion. However, there are undoubtable universal truths. Say you're in a group of 10 people. Nine out of 10 people believe one thing to be true. That doesn't automatically make it true. You, being the one person that doesn't believe what they believe, could have the truth on their side. I am not saying that I have all the answers. I have my faults. What I am saying is that through empirical observations, lots of conversations, lots of heavy work, admitting when I am wrong, updating my views on life, I have been able to 
be on the right side more often. I still have lots of work to do. Everyone still has lots of work to do. You could think that all truth is subjective, that it is what you make it. We're all faulty. We're all human. The ultimate goal is to improve ourselves to be able to live the best life possible. People do not like to admit when they're wrong. I can firsthand tell you that I absolutely loathe being wrong, but I do have enough humility to be able to accept that I don't know something. I do reserve the right to be wrong. So does everyone listening to this. When it does become an issue is when you are presented with objective truth and choose to ignore it. When you choose to stay ignorant, that is upon you. You are only hurting yourself and the ones around you. So ultimately, I really hope to open up just a great dialogue with everyone. This has been a long time in the making, and I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere, and I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with. I hope you guys are ready. You won't always agree with me. I'm sure I won't agree with you all the time. Hopefully we find common ground, but we can agree to disagree. I will definitely say some things that might make people angry, and I might get some things said to me that might make me angry. If you can't handle a brutally honest conversation about things, this is not what you need to be listening to. If you think you can handle it, come join me. I look forward to becoming a better person with you. All right, let's get into one of the main topics. Language control equals mind control. I don't think a lot of people sit and actually appreciate the fact that being able to communicate to one another is how anything in this life gets done. The ability to communicate and express ourselves is fundamental to humanity's progress as a whole. Yes, nonverbal cues also play a part in this, but you can't just use body language. It is a massive part. However, discourse on any level cannot happen without that other percentage. I believe somewhere 90%, 70%. Somebody can correct me. Communicating is through body language, but that's not 100% and you need the other part just as much as the 70 or 90, whatever it is. So a big issue that I currently see is language. And honestly, a lot of people are going to say, you're arguing semantics. Honestly, yes. Semantics are incredibly important. Semantics are literally the study of meaning, the study of the meaning of words. Words mean things, and that also means something. We need to effectively be able to communicate what we mean, what we want, what we're thinking, what we're feeling. A lot of us could definitely use some improvement on that. I know I definitely can. I have been terrible at it. It's a skill that you learn over time. And everyone definitely needs some work. But the big issue is, is when people use language to manipulate. I would like to genuinely think the best in a lot of people. One objective truth that I would love to see anyone argue with, because I don't think you can. There are such thing as bad people out there. There are bad actors. People that either don't care about causing harm, or with the explicit intent to cause harm. Why? That's a different discussion. But these people exist. There are a lot of them, and you have to be concerned and on your toes. 
Now, depending who you are, depends on my level of skepticism. So, my family, my loved ones, friends, co-workers, acquaintances, all have different levels of my skepticism. Some have no skepticism, because I know I can trust them. Some have a little bit, so I don't give them full trust. And there's other people, people in the public sphere, that I am immediately 100% skeptical of. Mainly, politicians. I am not currently saying that all politicians are bad or good. I'm not making a judgment call. What I am saying is that when somebody approaches all of society, a mass group of people, and tells that group that they have the answers, that they know how to do things right, I am very skeptical. Humans are very faulty. People lie, cheat still. So I'm very weary. I'm not going to willingly give that up. Not just politicians, but people in life. People like to screw people over. Drug users, typically known for lying, cheating, stealing. Some children. Children lie. And I'm not talking about little kids with little innocent white lies thinking that they can get away with stealing 50 cents out of their mom's purse. I'm talking about being in high school. Somebody lies to you about what their intentions are and they screw you over somehow. I think it's fairly healthy to be able to question somebody, but I digress. Semantics. The study of words. Why is that important? Words exist so we can distinguish one thing from another. It's how we make sense of our reality. It's how we define and discover truth. Words shape everything around us. They shape our entire universe. They affect us, the people around us, our communities, and much larger scale, our country and the world. Language is one of the most powerful things that almost everyone overlooks all the time. Just the simple act of being able to talk to somebody, be able to have a disagreement and talk about it, work it out, or be on the same page, being able to tell jokes, tell somebody about my sorrow. I very often overlook the simple luxury of being understood. Like I said, it shapes our entire world. It shapes who we are. And that is a massive, massive responsibility. Because there are bad actors in this world, people that will choose to manipulate you, choose to abuse you, get what they can from you, steal from you. It all starts with the language. Why would they want to do that? There's a myriad of reasons, and I personally think that it's a discussion for another day, one we might very well have. All I know is that there are bad people, and they will use language to manipulate the situation. I think most people would agree and also acknowledge that these people not only exist, but are at least decently common in society. They're small-time criminals, large-time criminals, shitty people. Not everyone's a criminal that lies, necessarily, but... Sometimes people lie because they don't want to hurt your feelings. It's still a bad thing to do. However, the people that will destroy you will use language to manipulate you. Not every organization, group, conglomerate, caboodle will have the best interest of everyone in mind. Now, with an incredibly smart enemy, they are going to understand that they need to play the long game, the long con. And the best way to control people is going to be through culture. Well, if you can control the language, you can change the semantics, the meaning of words, 
that fundamentally changes culture from the bottom. That changes the individual. I am all for the individual. I am for individual rights. So since normal everyday people in life are capable of lying, cheating, manipulating, stealing, robbing, stealing, robbing, same thing. Since normal everyday people are capable of doing these terrible things, then I don't understand the disconnect of why people would think that a politician would actually follow through on their promises. In fact, some people in society have actually turned around and made it a joke that no politician tells the truth, that they are always lying. That's what they do. Ha ha, they lied again. Surprise, surprise. I've definitely laughed at those jokes. It is funny. It's absurd. And I don't think people really appreciate how wrong and intense of a joke that this really is. They are manipulating people, saying one thing, doing another. But I don't understand how people can joke about it and not be outraged. You would be absolutely pissed if any authority figure in your life lied to you, used and manipulated you. So why is it any different with this deity that we seem to get a choice to choose every four years, every two years, six years, whatever. Any of these people that make wide promises to everyone, why is it not okay for your significant other to lie to you? But it's okay if they do. In fact, we just joke about it. Why is that okay? To continue down the road, you've got to ask yourself, somebody's capable, definitely somebody could have the motive, or they just wouldn't care and they are a sociopath, psychopath, what have you. So how would they do this? How would anybody do this? Well, in my opinion, they would do it through the use of euphemisms. It's the substitution of one meaning to possibly soften the blow, to imply a double meaning, or they would honestly just flat out change the meaning of a particular word. Use it in a different way. They would make you believe one thing about one word when they really mean another. Call it euphemisms, call it doublespeak, Call it political speak, call it whatever you want, but it's all the same thing. To give one example, if you oppose one side of the political aisle, then the opposition would call it obstruction. Oppose that other side, they could call it resistance. Two very different meanings, but it's the same action. I referenced this earlier, but one of the more common double speaks that we hear currently is my truth. Okay, well, let's kind of break this down at least the way that I see it, objective truth exists. Objective truth is reality regardless of any individual's feelings or perceptions. The way I understand it, my truth is how that person who says that perceives things regardless of how things actually are. Now, I'm not saying that people's perceptions, opinions, views on life are wrong, but you can't use your perceptions in replace of objective truth. Objective truth is true for all of us, not just one of us. By using the term, my truth, you are making an emotional argument. Emotions are not arguments. Emotions are not facts. Emotions exist, but they are not truth. But to replace objective truth with feelings is detrimental to society fundamentally. If the world and the truth is actually your truth, well then what about somebody else's? How does that work? How is it that one person's opinion can be the truth 
and you can deny somebody else's, their opinions, their feelings, people are going to feel however they feel. People are going to deal with it and act however they want to. But you can't force your feelings upon the world as if that's the only thing that matters. What matters is objective truth. What matters is your ability to be humble and admit when you're wrong. The rejection of objective truth not only damages you, sets you back, hurts you, but it hurts and impedes progress in society. My truth is a euphemism. It's a manipulation of words, changing the meaning that fundamentally changed the landscape of society as we know it. How dare you? You know what? Deal with it. I'm not sorry. Some people really need to realize that not everything's about them. You need to look beyond yourself. I've never been so irate in my whole fucking life. I'm not sorry if you're upset about that. Give your balls a tug, you tit fucker. The culture war is largely a war being fought with words. And the very last thing I'll say is one last quote. I know, bear with me. Those who believe without reason cannot be convinced by reason. James Randi. So tell me what you think. Uh, where am I wrong? Where am I right? What's your opinion? What's your feelings? But remember, they're not arguments. First segment, first show. Was it the greatest? Yeah, yeah, it was. It really was the greatest. It's all I do. Can't help that uh, my mother gave birth to a legend. How dare you? Yeah, well. Anyways, um, kind of touch on a couple of things before uh, we took that short little break. Wanted to share this amazing example of exactly what I was talking about as far as controlling language, controlling narrative lies and manipulation. This comes from Breaking 911. This was a comment made by Jen Saki, our little circle bat girl. Fucking in Yep. She makes a really interesting comment. Uh, let me know if you can find the issue I have with this. Hopefully you have an issue as well. And the president ran on, most importantly, did not run on defunding the police. He's always opposed defunding the police. I'll also note, because you've asked this question before, or a few times over the last several days, that when we talk about uh, individuals uh, in Congress and their support for funding or uh, opposition to funding for the police, I think what the American people are most focused on is how people vote, what their record is, which is a public record. And I will note that while the president ran on and won the most votes of any candidate in history in a platform of boosting funding for law enforcement, after Republicans spent decades trying to cut the COPS program, which again is public record. We don't need to uh, under under uh, undervalue the, the intelligence of the American people. Uh, the president ran on increasing that funding. It's in his budget. It w- in President Trump's budget, he significantly cut that. So that's a change. Okay. So 
apparently, based upon what she says, Joe Biden did not run on the platform of defunding the police. Uh, it might just be me, but anybody else remembering that completely differently? I, I'm at a loss. I can't believe that that is just such a blatant lie. I can't particularly remember an exact example of him saying defund the police. I have not looked. If somebody has a clip of him saying that, please send it over. But I do remember on several occasions of him alluding to it, talking not only down but bad about the police. Now, mind you, I'm not a thin blue line guy. That's not my thing. But you can't come run on a particular message, turn around a few months into your presidency, and have your little lackey, oh, sorry, sacky, say that that's not what you did. It's a lie. It's a manipulation. If you repeat a lie enough times, it becomes the truth. So this is one example. It's pretty big in my opinion. There are definitely many worse examples or better examples, depending on how you look at it. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's controlling language, trying to manipulate people. And I just think the act of trying to control language is something that I don't see a lot of people talking about. Some are. I wish more people would really focus on that. Um, It seems to be the issue. And there's a lot of discussions always about messaging. How do we message? How do we reach people? We really need to focus on exactly what language we're using. We need to use correct terms, correct people when they use incorrect terms. I think the language itself, the actual words, the nuance, is definitely what needs to be addressed and talked about. Now, before I move on, I would like to read some words that you should know, and if you don't, you need to catch up. Educate yourself. Do your own research. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Back to language. With these words, the first sentence of the Declaration of Independence, you got two sides of the debate. You have originalist and non-originalist. Uh, there might be another term. That's what I was told they were. That seems pretty reasonable. Originalists will take the writings, the sentiments at face value, Non-originalists will take these words and believe that, although that that might be what they said back then, that it doesn't necessarily apply now. I'm not saying that this is a perfect document. I am not saying that it is the end-all be-all. I'm not making a judgment call on who the authors of this document were. What I am saying is that very one particular statement should, in my opinion, be the end goal for anyone who's serious with living a peaceful, private, and meaningful life. My opinion, the United States is the greatest country in the world. That does not mean that wrongs have not been committed against people who reside in the country. That does not mean that the country is perfect. That does not mean government is great. That does not mean horrible things have not happened. America has not always lived up to the ideals that were preached. That is an issue, and we can talk about that. But personally, that one statement says it all for everybody. All men are created equal. Well, because of changing times, there's a different meaning to that. It wasn't all men. It was all humans, mankind. A lot of people fundamentally don't understand that. 
Now, if you take this document at face value, everything taken into consideration, that first sentence covers everyone. I personally do not see how one could say that they care for people or want peace and prosperity and disagree with that statement. I'll say it again. America has not always lived up to the ideals, but that is upon us to pick up that burden and look at everyone and be like, what the hell are you doing? This isn't just my responsibility. It's also your responsibility. And that's on us to make sure that the greatest country on earth can become better and improve upon the foundation and have a future that will allow future generations to not only survive, but to thrive. Yep. All right. Thank you. I know. I know. Thank you. Okay. So the next thing we're going to jump into, we're going to do a little biography spotlight. Real quick, I would like to preface this biography highlight with an overall subject. Propaganda. What do you think of when you first hear that word? I know what I think. Typically something negative, some dark shady thing related to spies somehow. I don't know. But you hear that word and it's not necessarily a good thing. Well, as far as controlling language, controlling and taking this word back propagate, to propagandize, the spreading of ideas, information, or rumor for the purpose of helping or injuring an institution, a cause, or a person. So, inherently, propaganda, to propagandize someone, is not inherently evil. It's not inherently bad. It is a tool. And much like tools, sometimes bad people get their hands on them. In world history, some bad people have definitely used propaganda terrible things. Personally, I feel that I was propagated by the great Ron Paul. Otherwise, I don't think I would necessarily have the exact view of the world that I do today. I'm sure you can think of an example where you have been propagated in your life. A lot of us went to public school, maybe some to private. Everyone in public school was propagated November 22nd, 1891, Vienna, Austria. There was a little boy born by the name of Edward Bernays. This boy would end up growing up into one of the most influential men of the 20th century, and he would become to be known as the father of public relations. He was also an author of such books as Crystallizing Public Opinion, Propaganda, Public Relations, and The Engineering of Consent. So if you've never heard of him or any of his work, what's public relations? Well, that goes back to the euphemism. It's a soft trigger. It's a soft pill to swallow. It's really propaganda. It's logical to think that you have come across public relation campaigns and probably didn't even know it. Examples would be if if a celebrity is trying to gain back the love of the audience, trying to win back those hearts and minds, or even somebody that just wants to take out an ad for their small business. Propaganda itself is not inherently immoral. Well, Edward Bernays wasn't always successful in every PR campaign that he was involved with or hired for, but there were very particular campaigns that were wildly successful and changed the cultural landscape as we know it. One of such campaigns, probably the most famous of his campaigns that he worked on and was hired for, took place in the late 1920s. He was approached and hired by the American Tobacco Company, who sold Lucky Strike cigarettes. Their sales were down and needed his help to regain profits. For this campaign, he did two particularly important things. One thing he did 
is he went to the top fashion designers at the time. I believe mostly French, could be wrong. But what he did with them is he took the very particular green of Lucky Strike cigarette packs and had these fashion designers use that for their fall line. So what's interesting about that is considering the people, specifically women, did not resonate with that color green, putting it into the fashion industry, it's going to draw a certain amount of attraction. This very unlikable color was being used by the prestige of the fashion industry. Subconsciously, that's going to make it so desirable. Whereas before any of this happened, nobody was excited about it. On top of this, the second thing he did, at the time, it was in the middle of the suffragette movement, women fighting for the right to vote. This is where it starts freaking me out. Smoking at the time for women in public was frowned upon. It was not socially acceptable for women to be seen in public smoking. What he did is he would have people that worked for him, he introduced smoking in public for women as a social justice cause, fighting for their rights, be treated as equals. And this amazing wordplay he did, he called the cigarettes torches of freedom to convey the concept that women should smoke in public as a way to fight for their freedom. Bernays hit upon this very stunt of having young women smoke cigarettes while strolling in that year's annual Easter Sunday parade in New York City. This Easter Sunday parade was actually carefully organized and scripted by Bernays himself. Debutantes were recruited to be smokers, and they were carefully positioned near particular landmarks. Bernays even arranged for a photographer to shoot images just in case any newspaper photographers missed the shot. The next day, New York Times published the story. Headline reads, Group of girls puff at cigarettes as a gesture of freedom. The article noted, about a dozen young women strolled back and forth near St. Patrick's Cathedral, ostentatiously smoking cigarettes. When interviewed, the women said the cigarettes were torches of freedom that were lighting the way to the day when women would smoke on the street as casually as men. Obviously, the tobacco company was happy with the results as the sales to women accelerated. In the same decade, Edward Bernays was approached by the Beech Nut Packing Company, producers of everything from pork products to the nostalgic Beech Nut Bubblegum. Mmm, Beech Nut. Beech Nut wanted to increase consumer demands for bacon. Bernays turned to his agency's internal doctor and asked him whether a heavier breakfast might be more beneficial for the American public. Knowing which way his bread was buttered... Heyo. <laughs> the doctor confirmed Bernays' suspicion and wrote to 5,000 of his doctor friends with a very carefully worded letter asking them to confirm it as well. This quote-unquote study of doctors encouraging the American public to eat a heavier breakfast, namely bacon and eggs, was published in major newspapers and magazines of that time to great success. Beach Nut's profits rose sharply, all thanks to Edward Bernays. So, let that sink in for just a second. 1920s, 
he was hired by Beechnut Packing Company. And through his campaign was able to get Americans to eat breakfast, particularly bacon and eggs. One of the most American breakfasts, just as American as apple pie. Because they believed that it was going to be healthier for them. Here we are, close to a hundred years later. An American breakfast still almost always includes bacon and eggs. That's exactly how much power his techniques have on the general public. This isn't a matter of just manipulation. This is propagandizing. Okay, maybe a slight little bit of manipulation. Paying off a doctor to side with you. Okay, that's pretty corrupt. Let's be honest. But because of that campaign, we still eat bacon and eggs. To me, that's absolutely terrifying. And I'm absolutely amazed. So a couple of campaigns, I'm not going to go into depth here, but a couple of notable campaigns that he was also responsible for. Um, he was the guy who was hired by the Aluminum Company of America to use the American Dental Association to convince people that water fluoridation was safe and healthy to the public. His campaign for Dixie Cups scared people into thinking the glasses they were drinking out of were unsanitary and could be replaced by disposable cups. He was also hired by President Coolidge to help run his re-election campaign in 1924 and encourage Coolidge to invite the country's leading vaudevillians to the White House for a meet-and-greet over pancakes. Even one of the many monsters who called themselves the Nazis, Joseph Goebbels himself, propaganda master for the Third Reich, used Edward Bernays' techniques to be able to manipulate the German citizenry into the Nazis' end game. So, there's a brief synopsis on Edward Bernays. I have actually read two of his books. I highly recommend them. Incredibly eye-opening. He was an amazing man. However, he was not the only PR publisher. He ran campaigns that still influence our daily lives today, and there are many more like him. So, what does all of this mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that he was a bad person. He could have been. Um, he did also help try to lie us into a war. Us is in the United States. Uh, that's pretty bad, but I don't, I never met him. Neither have you. I can't say he was a bad guy. I don't know where it was coming from, but that doesn't look good. The point of me bringing him up and the influence he has had on our society is just to prove a point of why we should be vigilant. Not only vigilant, we should be skeptical. We need to look at the motives of people. A lot of people do say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I wholeheartedly believe that. Everybody that helped invent the first nuclear bomb believed that they were doing it for the betterment of society. Boy, were they wrong. I'm sure Edward Bernays was just doing his job, not even really thinking about where this was going to go, that his campaigns were going to have an effect on us a hundred years later. Propaganda isn't the issue. The tool itself to propagandize is not a bad thing. Just like any other tool, it really depends on who's using it. Make sure and always stay vigilant. Always ask questions. Stay in contact with your strong communities. Continue to talk, work through things, and improve yourself. Well, if you made it to this point, all I gotta say thank you. What should we take away from this? Well, my intent behind putting this episode together was really to try and make the point that maybe 
what you believe might not be the truth. Maybe what you believe could be intentionally pushed on you to cause you harm, to cause your fellow citizens harm, to cause your family harm, your friends. Maybe the things that are popular aren't what should be popular. In my personal opinion, there is a lot of very simple, divisive, nasty messaging coming from popular culture. I have always been a proponent of the counterculture. You can't agree with every popular person, every politician, every musician, actor, actress. You can't agree with all popular culture, have the exact same opinions that they keep pushing, pushing their talking points, and still be counterculture. All men, women, everybody, regardless of what you are, where you are, everybody is created equal. To be able to live a life free without the threat of violence or fraud being forced upon you is the exact way that everyone should live. It's what we deserve. Being alive gives us the right to not be abused. Whether you agree with me or not, I am going to fight to make sure that you can live any way that you want to live, as long as you don't force it on anyone else. Now, the last thing I would like to say, no matter how much evidence or statistics, reasoning, logic that you throw at some people, some people will not accept it. Now, here's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I stand by this. A lot of these people need to be made examples of. I'm not saying go out of your way to just be terrible to them, but I think it's a very useful tactic, one I would like to see a little bit more of. They need to be mocked. They need to be chastised. Don't go out of your way to harm people. That's not the way. If somebody has already been in front of you causing problems, not letting it go, and we've all come into contact with them, push back. That is the self-defense. You end up having to walk away. It will make them angry. This doesn't work for every situation. I understand the nuance. However, this can be used in several situations. I have seen it done before. So definitely keep that in mind. Is it right for you? Should you do it? That's up to you to decide. I'm not going to tell you that you have to. However, I do think that we should take a little bit of their tactics and use it better than them. Yep. Thank you. All right. No? No, that... that. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Rise to Liberty podcast. Was this episode that great? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I already said that. Um, I really hope you come back for the next episode. There's a lot of big plans in the works. There's some really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. So I really hope you stick by because it's only going to get better from here. And it was already great. Make sure and listen to the very end of the episode. There will be updates and next week's episode preview. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson. And until next week, stay free, my friends. Hey everybody, thanks for making it to this point in the episode. I would like to take a minute and remind you if you could like, share, subscribe, follow, and leave us a review, that really, really helps out the show and 
would be doing wonders. Also, make sure to check out our socials. There will be links in the show description, Instagram and Twitter, for as long as those platforms will last. Telegram, Gab, Odyssey, YouTube. You can find us pretty much anywhere. Like I said, there will be links in this episode description and all future episode descriptions. This portion of the episode is going to be for updates, corrections, news, anything going on behind the scenes. Since it's the first episode, there isn't anything to report on. There might be something coming down the line, but any news, this is where you're going to find it. Next episode, we will be briefly looking at Marxism, Neo-Marxism, the Frankfurt School, and a gentleman named Yuri Bezmanov. Not all episodes are going to be like this first episode or the next episode coming up. Occasionally they will be, but explaining what I explain in these first two episodes will definitely tie in to more of what the show is actually going to be. So stick with me, and I promise you will not regret it. See you on the next episode.